Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Lord, we just, we come before you this morning, Lord, with quieted hearts and opened minds. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word. Lord, use me uh, in a way that uh, will speak to those who are here today, Lord. We're anxious to hear what it is that you've got for us. So, Lord, we thank you. Please change us this morning. Convict us. Challenge us. Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, before I get started, it's maybe just a good time to say, if you've got your cell phone with you, maybe just reach in and turn that on over to vibrate or turn it off altogether. It's not that I don't love those fun little tunes, but maybe you could share it with me after service. That'd be great. Okay, let's take a look. Deuteronomy chapter 20. When you go to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And as I read that this week, um, God kind of reminded me of Numbers chapter 14. Because in Numbers chapter 14 was the first time that the people were standing at this very same border, the Jordan River, looking over at the Promised Land. I'm just going to turn over there for a second. You could turn there if you'd like, chapter 14 of Numbers, or you could stay right where you are and just listen. Um, but I'm going to read. This is, this is the first time. See, Moses has brought them out. He brought them to the mountain. They were given the, the commandments by God. Now they're on the, the, the border of the promised land that God has called them to. And he had said, You're, I'm going to give you this land. It's a beautiful land. It's got uh, flowing with milk and honey. We talked about you know provision and, and things that make life amazing. And you're going to go in and you're going to take it. Um, and there are going to be some, some challenges along the way, but I'm going to be with you and I want you to go in. And at that time, the people said, maybe we ought to just send in some people to kind of look and see for ourselves. And so um, they sent in spies. If you, if you know the story at all, they sent in spies. And, and, uh, and, and two of those spies were Caleb and, and Joshua, right? And then there was a bunch of other guys representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And they went out and they spent some time in this promised land and then they came back. And that's where I'm going to pick this up. In chapter, actually chapter 13, uh, verse 26, it says, now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And when they, told, when they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us, it truly flows with milk and honey and is full of fruit. And so they go into the land and then they come back. And, you know, if you were to read before, you would say they had these great bunches of grapes on sticks and they, they bring these bunches of grapes back and they come back and they actually proclaim to the people what God told us was going to be in that land. It's true. It is a land filled with milk and honey and, and filled with fruit. Then they say, nevertheless, the people who dwell in that land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there and the Amal Amal <laughs> excuse me, Amalekites. <laughs> I can't say it. Amalekites, thank you. <laughs> or, no, thanks for coming, everybody. <laughs> 
The Amalekites are there. And they dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. And so they come back and they said, yes, there's all, it is a land of milk and honey, and there's great produce, um, but there's also big fortified cities and mighty men who fight, and, and, uh, and there are all these Canaanites and, and people, they live all over the land. And then Caleb, it says that Caleb got up and quieted the people. And he said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. And so Caleb comes back and he's like, yes, 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 there's people there. Yes, there's giants, but we're going, come on, let's go right now, because God said he's going to go with us. And Caleb is like, let's do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And then down in, uh, jump down to verse, or chapter 14, it says, So all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. Do you see what they say right there? God actually gives them exactly what they asked for ultimately, right? Because they said, oh, no, it's so horrible. If we go in, it's going to be so bad. We'll die. If only we had died in the wilderness. So God says, okay, this is what we'll do. You'll wander around in the wilderness until you die. So that's what they saw. 40 years before, they're on the same border. They're looking at the promised land, and God says, I'm giving you this incredible place. You just need to go in and possess it, and I'm going to go with you. And they send in spies, and they go, yes, it is as God said. However, there's also some battles that are going to need to happen, and there's people who are greater in number than us, in size than us, and they have cities, and what do we have? Really, what do we have is what they're thinking. They lost sight of what they had, didn't they? <laughs> didn't they? Did the God of the universe backing them, not just backing them, going in front of them. And still they said, no, no, we can't do it. We'd be better off if we just died in the wilderness. Same border. 40 years have passed now, and now you've got this new group, their children, who are standing on the same border looking at the same obstacles, facing the same battles, having to make the same decision. Luckily, guess what else is the same? God, same God, same promise. I am gonna go with you. Do we trust God for the victory? Even for the battles we can't see that are right in front of us, or do we give in to fear and miss out on what God has planned for us. I have to ask that question of myself all the time. All the time. How many of you have faced battles? Hello. Excellent, thank you. All right, you're awake. <laughs> How many of you are in a battle right now? How many of you are facing a battle right now? How many of you think battles are going to come? Everybody, put up your hand, every one of you. Battles are going to come. In fact, Jesus would say it himself, wouldn't he? He's going to say, oh, I tell you these things so that you'll have peace. But in this life, you will have trouble. 
in this life, you have, remember we talked about the idea that for them, the promised land was a geographical location that they were going into. For us, the promised land is the abundant life that God calls every Christian to and promises every Christian because it's, it's not heaven. You know how I know it's not heaven? Because there are battles in the promised land that have to be overcome. There's not going to be any battles to overcome in heaven. Our promised land is this walk that we walk with Christ once we receive him as our Lord and Savior. And it is abundant and it is full and it is amazing, but there are battles in it. But he says, don't be afraid of the battles because I'm going before you. I will be with you. Jesus says, I've overcome the world. So have peace about this. Look at verse 1 of chapter 20. Look at the first word. When you go out to battle. What does it not say? If. If If you go into battle. This says when, and he's saying there's going to be battles. There just is. Could God have gone in before the Israelites and just wiped out the land clean and been like, this is going to be easy. All you got to do is go in and everything, it's all going to be cleaned out and flat and smooth and, and no obstacles at all. You could just go in. Could God have done that? Sure. Could God make your life problem free and easy every step of the way? Could he do that? Of course he could. So why doesn't he? Why don't you? <laughs> Because there's beauty in it. There's beauty in learning how to lean on and to to rely on God. There's beauty in saying, Lord, I can't take another step and having him pick you up and say, okay, but I'll carry you for a while. There's beauty in understanding the sacrifices that were made so that our lives are possible. There's beauty in it. Guess what would happen if it was a smooth road with no obstacles and no problems? Guess what we would not do anymore? Go to God for anything, right? He'd be like, all right, thanks, thanks. And off we go into the promised land. It's all smooth. And we'd be like, we'll see you later, God. We're good now. It is the obstacles that cause us to lean on, to rely on, to call on God, to trust in his provision. And this is the thing. These spies went in and saw battles down the road. But these guys right here, they can't see anything except for what they see right in front of them. So they've got to go in and trust God for battles they can't even see are coming yet. And guess what they do? They go. Ultimately, they go, like, not in Deuteronomy. I, I hate, I, here's a spoiler alert for you. We're going to finish the entire book of Deuteronomy sometime next, you know, April. <laughs> but they actually don't go in <laughs> to the promised land until Joshua. So sorry, but here it is. They do go in, just so you know. They do Go in. So he says, when you go into battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is giving, is going, <laughs> he's with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. We keep seeing that over and over again. God says, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. You know what that, you know what that is, really? That is God reminding him that they don't have to have blind faith. They have proven faith. God says, uh, you know 
that I can do what I'm saying I'm going to do because you've witnessed it. Some of you were alive when I brought you out of Egypt. Some of you had already been born. So you don't have to trust me blindly necessarily. You've seen me in action. You know I do what I say I'm going to do. Some of us here in this room have experienced God work in a way that has blown our minds. And we have, it's like we could say, like I've seen him work in ways that make me understand that he is real and that he has all the power. And by the way, he loves me and knows me by name. I hope that for you as well. And so verse two, and so it shall be when you are on the verge of battle and the priest shall approach and speak to the people and he shall say to them, hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble and, or, or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Whew. That's a pretty cool verse. Actually, and I'm gonna, if, if you are one of those people that needle points or makes pillows and things, make a pillow of that and put it right on your couch. And if you do that, people, there'll be orders. There's something interesting I see here. It's so important to God that you not be afraid. He states it four different ways in this verse. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid, do not tremble, or be terrified. Four times, in four different ways, he says, don't be afraid when you look out ahead of you in your life and you see that there are battles in front of you or obstacles that seem way too big for you to handle on your own. They're looking at an army that's way bigger than them, that has chariots, that has horses, that have weapons. What do they have? Swords, probably, maybe spears, maybe some armor, no horses, no chariots that we know of. They're facing an army that is virtually huge and bigger than them. And God says, when you're looking at the obstacles in front of you and they're just too big for you to handle on your own, don't be afraid because God goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. I was looking uh, into this though, because this is what I've learned when I, uh, when I study the Bible, is that um, the more I do it, the more I realize that sometimes God calls me to look into things a little more deeply. So when I see him saying, don't be afraid, four different ways, to me, that's a cue to just dig a little more, to search a little deeper. And so as I did that, um, I came upon this um, section of the Mishnah. Do you know what the Mishnah is? The Mishnah is like a written record of the oral history of Judaism, okay? Does everyone understand that? It was like they would pass on their history orally and then someone started to write it down, okay? So this, is a, the, this was in, in the Mishnah. Um, this, this verse, but it, it expands it just a little bit, okay? So it says, and let not your hearts faint at the neighing of horses and the brightness of their swords. Fear not at the clashing of shields, and do not tremble at the sound of trumpets, neither be terrified um, of, the vo- from, of the voice of shouting. And see, in the Mishnah, it says for each one of those, don't be afraid when they do this. Don't be afraid when they do this. Don't be terrified of this. And really, what they're breaking down here is that when armies came together, 
they would rattle their shields together and they would wave their swords and they would shout and they would gallop their horses up and down the line as a way of intimidating the enemy army, as a way of making a big show that we're a big, powerful army and we're really mean. And that can be very, very scary. And what God does is he dismantles all of the intimidation of the enemy on the other side of the line. He says, you know what? When they, do, when they run their horses up and down, don't worry about it. When they bang their swords together and flash them in the sun, don't be afraid of it. When they're uh, shouting and banging their shields together, don't tremble at that because I'm going with you to fight for you to save you. You know what also occurred to me in this moment? was that um, when they went in, and we're talking about them going into the promised land, geographically, it was the same land as the enemy. The promised land was the promised land to the Israelites, but geographically speaking, it was still the same land that the other people were in. They were occupying the same land. That's why there was a battle in the first place. And what occurred to me was, geographically, it was the same place. What made it different for the Israelites? Not their size, not their weapons, but the presence of God made it different. So it's similar to us. Like we live here in in this county. We live in this state, in this country. Geographically speaking, our geography is the same as anybody who may oppose you. But what's different? Same difference. The presence of God. Is different, was what makes it different, is what makes us be able to know that we can actually have victory, not because of our own might or strength, but because of the presence of God who says, I go before you to fight for you, to save you from your enemies. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you go into your battles? I mean, you're going to leave today and you're going to maybe face a battle or an obstacle, maybe in the parking lot. <laughs> I hope there's no battles in the parking lot, but... You never know. Do you believe that God goes with you or do you think that you meet with him here and then when you leave, you're like, I'll see you next Sunday, God. And off you go. I mean, you could say it. Yes, I totally believe that. But does your life show it? Does your life prove it out? Do you go about your day to day? Do you get up? Remember we talked about in starting your morning and be like, you know, Lord, before I put my feet on the floor, thank you for waking me up again today and thank you for what you've put before me and I can't wait to see what it is. How many of you said, I'm gonna, you know what? They left that Sunday and be like, I'm gonna pray that every morning. And on Monday you were like, Lord, thank you so much for this amazing day and I'm ready to go and open my doors and expand my territory. And then Tuesday you're just like, oh, oh my, yeah. Is there any coffee yet? You don't have to raise your hand because you're laughing. I know that some of you did that very thing. You're like, I'm, gonna, I'm doing it. <laughs> then verse 5, it says, The officer shall speak to the people, saying, What man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. Also, what man is there who has planned, planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it. And what man is there who is betrothed to a woman who has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man marry her. 
See, what God is saying to those folks right there through Moses is, listen, if you have other things in your life that are pulling your attention away, then don't go into battle. You know what? Just go home. Just go home. I tell you what, I must have stood up here for an hour just like this saying, God, what is it that you're trying to say here? Because I really would like to know what your message is here. How do I, what am I supposed to do with this? How do I apply this? And this is what God told me, you know, while I sat and quietly listened. God made allowances for them. God made allowances for them in their lives because there were other things that were drawing them away. So he allowed them to leave the battle. But is that what he wanted for them? Is that what he wanted? I don't think so. He made allowances for them to go and not be a part of the battle, but I don't think that's what he wanted for them. So then I think about my own life, and I think, am I, am I so wrapped up in the other stuff that I've got going on in my house and in, in, in my job or my wife or my possessions or whatever I've got, you know, my vineyard or my house or my new wife? I don't have a new wife. <laughs> that I'm asking God to make allowances for me to not have to go into battle when he will do it. But is that what he wants for me? Am I going to be satisfied with a comfortable walk with God? <laughs> Listen, I'm not telling you this. I'm telling myself this. I'm asking myself this question. This is a question I ask myself on a regular basis. Am I just becoming so okay with a, with a comfortable walk with the Lord? Because he'll allow it. But what will I miss out on? What blessings does he have planned for me? What does, just like, what, what did they miss out on what blessings do I miss out on if I'm okay with a comfortable walk? I can't tell you, like I said this out loud to myself. I don't think I've ever said this before, but I said it out loud to myself yesterday. I sure am glad I'm a Christian in the United States because it's easy to be comfortable in the United States and be a Christian. It's not so easy when you're in a country like the Ukraine or China or Mexico. I mean, are we just getting comfortable? Are we just hearing God say, oh, see, God said I could go home. Said I could go home. If, I've, if, I've, if I'm entangled in the things of my life, I, can, I don't have to be about it. And God will allow it. But is that what he wants for you? I don't think so. Is that what he wants for me? I don't think so. There's another part here. It says in verse 8, the officers shall speak further to the people and say, what man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house. See, he says to this group, okay, those three groups, if they want to go, fine, they can go. Also, if you are afraid, you can go home too. If you're afraid, you can go home as well. Because Lest the heart, look at this, lest the heart of his brethren faint like him. You see, why would God say, if you're afraid, you can also leave. You don't have to go into the battle. Because fear and worry and doubt are contagious. 
Look what happened 40 years ago. 10 guys come back with proof of God's promise and a report of giants and cities and mighty fighting men. They came back with God's promise and they came back with fear and doubt and worry. And that is what spread to the entire camp. Fear and doubt and worry. Not the proof of God's promise, but the doubt and the fear and the worry that they came back with. And it spread throughout the whole camp. And it caused the entire people then to miss out on the promised land. The very thing that God had promised to give to Abraham's descendants, to Abraham, over 400 years before this. Because the fear and the doubt and the worry that 10 guys brought in spread throughout the whole camp. And so God says right here, if you're afraid, um, go home. Because fear and doubt and worry are contagious. We know this. Fear, doubt, worry, and I'm even going to add negativity. Negativity is super contagious. You know when you come in on a Monday morning... And someone says, hey, how was your weekend? Oh, man, I was busy. I was so busy. I mean, I didn't get any rest. It was just work, work, work. And now I'm here again, and they're like, yeah. Weekends are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, everyone's like, yeah, my weekend, too. It was so bad, and my, you know, my internet went out, and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> You know, are we in a place where, like, when your internet goes out in your house, you're like, oh my gosh. I don't know. How do you, oh, yeah. does the door open on its own? I don't <laughs> It's just become a thing. Oh, my goodness. And you don't know what, I don't know, who do I call? I don't even know who to call. I don't have a phone. Don't you remember phones? You'd be like. Kids, you don't know what I'm talking about, but phones, that, they used to hang on the wall. They didn't take pictures. They didn't do anything good. Where was I? Negativity. Yes, thank you, negativity. But if you come in on a Monday morning and they're like, how was your weekend? I was like, oh man, it was such a great weekend. And I, got, I spent time with my family. We got all kinds of projects done. We had a good time. We went to church and they're like, okay, see you later. <laughs> they're not interested. It's the negativity that spreads. It's contagious. And, and he's like, oh, man, if you're going to dwell there, go home then. You know? <laughs> man. I, God has just been really speaking to me about this idea of um, on, on the way in the other day, I was coming here to prepare, and I was listening to Caleb or Way FM or one of those, and that song, and I'm just kind of having that inner, internal conversation with God about stuff, and, and, uh, and the song comes on, and it says, what would Jesus do? This is the song, what would Jesus do? And then it says, he would love first. And I was like, oh, right, love first. Love first. It's really beginning to change my world. Jesus would love first. Now, he would correct, uh, but he would love first. And even his correction was because he loved them first. Amen? Do you know, though, that God is looking at this? And, you know, anybody, any military person would sit there and go, well, well wait a minute, wait a minute, Moses. 
we're going in. We already know that the army that we're going to face is bigger than us as we stand. And now you're saying, well, if you have a new house or a new vineyard or a new wife or or you're just plain afraid, just go home. Don't you think that's going to shrink our army even further? Well, yeah. We see there's another story. You probably know this story of Gideon. You know the story of Gideon? It was going up against an army that had 120,000 soldiers, and he was able to scrape together 32,000 guys. And he was feeling not great about it, honestly. Not great about going up against an army of 120,000 with 32,000 guys. But he was like, God, here we go. We got your army. And God looks down, and he goes, excellent. It's too many. You got too many. He's, and actually what he says is, I know what will happen is when they win, they're going to be like, we're awesome. Hey, we were like outnumbered five to one and we still won. And so God says, we're going to reduce the army. So he says, Gideon, go and tell everybody in your army that anybody that's afraid, they can just go home. And I'm sure Gideon was like, oh, okay. If anybody's afraid to go into battle, just go ahead and go home. You know what happened? 22,000 guys went home. 22,000. He was left with 10,000 guys to face an army of 120,000. I'm sure at that point, Gideon's like, there, you, are you happy? And God said, no, it's still too many. So he says, take all 10,000 down to the river and and watch. And those guys that get down and put their face in the water and drink are different from the guys who get down on their knees and kind of take water and lap it up like a dog. Only keep the dog lapping type guys. (laughs) So they all run down to the river and guess how many he ends up with? 300 men. 300 men. And he's like, God says, now I can work with this. Because to God, it doesn't matter the size of the army. It matters on the heart of the soldier, right? The heart of the soldier, not the size of the army. And so when God says, look, I'm looking for those people who are going to be like about it, who aren't going to be tied to stuff, who aren't going to be afraid because fear and worry and doubt are contagious. We don't have to worry about the size of the obstacle when we've got God going before us. We just go. Let's go. (laughs) No, let's stay for a little while anyway. And it shall, uh, let's see, uh, verse nine, and it shall be when the officers have finished speaking to the people that they shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. And when you go near a city to fight against it, then proclaim an offering of peace to it. And it shall be that if they accept your offer of peace and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute to you and serve you. Now, if the city will not make peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord God delivers it into your hands, you shall strike every male with the edge of the sword. But the women and the little ones, the livestock and all that are in the city, all its spoil, you shall plunder for yourself and you shall eat the enemy's plunder with which the Lord your God gives you, and thus you shall do to all the cities which are very far from you, which are not the cities of these nations. Got it? (laughs) Um, So here's what they're talking about. 
These are not the seven nations of Canaan that God is going to say, you're going to go in and destroy all of those nations. This is talking about other cities. So it's not exactly in chronological order, but it is instruction for when they go in to this land. There are going to be other places, other cities within the land that aren't among these Canaanite nations that are supposed to be utterly destroyed. So he says, when you go in and you come to one of these cities, you're going to stand out in front of it and you're going to say, hey, we're here We'd like to take you guys over. Um, are you cool with that? And if so, just come on out. And if they did that, they were to go in, right, and place that city under tribute to Israel. And it means that they would then pay tribute and they would be servants of the new master of the city, which would be Israel. Now, if the city said, no, that's a bad deal for us. We're not going to do that. Then they were supposed to besiege the city. And this is how it would work. The army would come around the Israelite room, they would surround the city, and they would cut off anything that would come in from the outside to try and, you know, support the city or any provisions or anything that they were living off of, they were cut off, water and food and anything like that, any commerce, it was all cut off. And then they would just wait until that city um, surrendered. Because eventually they would run out of food, they would run out of water, and sometimes this would happen really quick. The cities would realize, well, we made a terrible mistake. We're all going to die. Um, we better surrender. Well, sometimes it would take a long time for that to have weeks or months that they would be surrounding that city, besieging that city, and cutting them off. And then once they did surrender, they would go in, and it says that they were to kill all of the males, basically saying all of the, the men soldiers in that city, they were supposed to kill all of them because any man left alive in that city was a future potential enemy. That's how they looked at it. So that's what this is talking about. Now, as I was walking through this passage, they go, okay, that's historically interesting to see how they did that. I heard that little voice in my head say, that's how I got you. And I was like, hmm? Well, let me explain. At one point in my life, Jesus came around me, right? I hadn't accepted him, so he wasn't in, but he was around. And he started to blockade off the things that I felt, felt, felt. I'm going with that. Felt that I needed in order to live. The things that I thought were important that I needed, he started to show by cutting them off that I didn't need until it got to the point where I was just like, I cannot go on. I surrender. And I let him in. And in that moment when he came in, I became a servant of him, the new master in my life. But it's a good thing. I want that. Now, here's the other part. You know, when they came in, they had to kill all of the male soldiers with the edge of the sword so that there were no future potential enemies. The same thing happened in my life. See, the Bible says that the old man is put to death. Because if I don't put to death the old man, the old me, my old flesh, then what happens? That flesh rises up and is a potential future enemy. Unfortunately, not all of my old flesh was killed, and so there is a battle 
going on. My salvation is secure, but there's a battle between my flesh and my spirit that goes on and on and on. And so I am like a besieged city that Jesus was able to surround, come in, take over, make me his servant, which I'm glad for, and begin to put to death all of the future potential enemy. And I love that. I love it. Now, but of the cities of these people, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Parasites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, just as the Lord your God has commanded. We have gone over and over this, but in case you're new and you haven't heard any of this, here's a quick understanding of why this isn't uh, a crazy, horrible God just c- committing ge- genocide. This is talking about a people that he has said to Abraham early on, I'm not sending you in yet to, to take out these people because their iniquity is not full. They've not come to the fullness of their iniquity, meaning that God gave them more than 400 years to come to an understanding of who he was and to accept them as God, as Abraham did more than 400 years. And at this point, God was saying to them, they have become a cancer that is spreading. And if it isn't completely eradicated, it will continue to spread. Because he says, look at verse 18, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done for their gods and, and you sin against the Lord your God. He's saying, This is so that they are wiped from the land. Remember, he's saying they had plenty of time. They have rejected me for all of this time and not just rejected me. The practices that they are taking on are so abhorrent. They are sacrificing their own children. Lest you start to do what they have done, they need to be completely wiped out. So it isn't God being harsh, it's God being unyielding in justice. Do you understand the difference? It's not a harsh God, it's a God who is unyielding when it comes to rejection of him, disobedience, and sin. Remember how we talked about the idea that God has, the, 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 I forgot the word, God said that if you sin, it comes with a sentence of death. And we're like, oh boy, am I so glad that the New Testament doesn't say that. (laughs) But it does, doesn't it? It says the wages of sin is death. The cost of sin is death. But the difference is Jesus came in between. And Jesus said, okay, but I will take it all on. And I'll die so that you don't have to. And then he defeated death by raising up from the grave. God has never changed his penalty for sin is death. But in this New Testament life that we live in, Jesus paid that price. He paid it. And he doesn't do it over and over. Jesus doesn't, by the way, um, every Easter Sunday, he doesn't pay for our debt. It's just we remember it every single year. He did it once, one time. One time was all it took for him because he was perfect. One time on the cross to bear all of your sin and all of my sin. Do you believe that? See, because it can happen, but if you don't believe it, 
you're not receiving that gift. That's the thing. You see, he did it for you. You say, wow, thank you. I'm, I, I didn't realize it, but I'm such a sinner. Lord, thank you for taking all of my sin. Thank you for forgiving me, Lord. Please come into my life and be my savior. T- take over my city. Lord, take over my city now and fill me with your presence. Whatever, if you haven't done that, you, you want to do that. You want to do that. You want to, get, you want to op- throw open the gates of your city and say, Lord, please come in. Please forgive me. He wasn't harsh. He was unyielding in his response to disobedience. Verse 19, it says, when you besiege a city for a long time, while making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an ax against them. If you can eat of them, do not cut down, do not cut them down to use in the siege for the tree of the field is man's food. Only the tree which you know are not trees for food, you may destroy and cut down to build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it is subdued. Such an interesting passage. Essentially, it says, when you're besieging a city and in the process, if there are trees there that are bearing fruit, don't cut them down to make ladders and battering rams and ramps. Look for the trees that don't bear fruit. Do you know what that means for you? I don't know. <laughs> I seriously, I do not know. I, I could stretch and try and make some really crazy application for you, and maybe you've thought of one and you want to come and tell me later. Well, here's a couple of things that I'm just going to add to this. What he says is, when you go into this land, conquer don't destroy. Conquer, don't destroy. The idea was this isn't a come in and, f- and just scorch the land. God was saying, look, I've given you this land as a gift. So when you go in, don't destroy the land. Don't destroy the trees that are actually going to provide you with provision. Part of my promise, go in and conquer the land. Use the trees that don't bear fruit to make ladders and ra- ram- battering rams and, and ramps. Don't Cut down the fruit trees. Eat off of the fruit trees. There's probably some really great, cool application or comparison there. I don't have it. So if you have it, you come and tell me later. And uh, in 14 years from now, when we come back through to Deuteronomy, (laughs) I'll make a footnote and I'll say, Courtney had this great. See, this is the thing, like, it's talking about God's provision. There's never not enough time to talk, not never enough time. There's always time to think about God's provision. God's provision, right? Because God says, I'm going with you. I'm going before you. I'm behind you. I'm over you. I'm watching you. I'll give you everything. One of his names is God the provider. Right? He provides. They're still, by the way, you may not know this, but they're still eating manna at this point. That doesn't stop until they cross over the Jordan River. He's still providing. He provided them shoes that never wore out, clothes that never turned to rags for 40 years. 40 
years. He provided and provided and provided. You know, he says, when you go in, don't, don't cut down the things that I'm, that I'm using to provide for you. Cut down the other trees. Amen? Amen. I'm, there's two minutes left, so I'm just going to stand here and stare at you. <laughs> Listen, I can't walk away today without coming back to this idea that if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have to do that. You must turn your life over to Jesus or else he says, remember we talked about the prophet was going to come and he was going to tell you all things and these are the things that you're going to hear. And if you don't hear the prophet, then it's going to be required of you. And then we said the prophet was Jesus Christ who showed up as the one who was the anointed one. Do you know that Christ isn't Jesus's last name? Did you know that? It's not Jesus Christ, the first and last name. That's his title, anointed one, the one who is coming. If you've not done that, then it says that your, your failures and your faults, it's on you. And if you're here and you're thinking, well, that's cool because I'm pretty good and I'm going to get to heaven and, and God's going to, some kind of scale system is up there and there's St. Peter with a great big book um, and he's going to flip through and he's going to like, let's see, let's see, what's that last name? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see that you're just good enough. There isn't just good enough. You're not just good enough. We are only coming into the presence of the Father through Jesus Christ. That is what the Bible says. So if you, if you haven't done that, if you haven't accepted Jesus, we're going to pray, right? We're going to pray right now. So everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you've accepted the, uh, if you've accepted Jesus, pray for anyone here who might feel this pressing in on them by the Holy Spirit, who's like, now is the day of salvation. And pray this and say, Lord Jesus, Lord, I ask, I recognize now that I am a sinner in need of a savior. And I believe that with all of my heart that Jesus died for me on the cross and that he rose from the dead. Now, Lord, I receive that word and I repent of my sins and come into my heart, Jesus. I receive your forgiveness. I receive the new birth cleansed and washed in the precious blood of Jesus. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Now, listen, with everybody's head bowed and their eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you, if you're here and you prayed that right now, the Holy Spirit is ministering to you right now. If you prayed that, would you please just put up your hand so that I can pray for you uh, and so that we can just come around you? Please, anybody that has, is praying that prayer. Lord, I just pray over this whole body. Lord, and if there is anybody here, Lord, that just is sitting there saying, no, I don't know, I don't know. Does that mean I have to join the church? No, it doesn't mean that. It would be cool if you came, but it doesn't mean you join this church. It means that you've joined the heavenly choir. Oh, Lord, I just pray. Lord, I do thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this word that you've placed before us and the, the, the things in which you've convicted me in my own life and challenged me, Lord, to take a step out greater even so than I, than I even thought I had. Lord, reminding me that there are, there are things that I'm holding back on. So, Lord, I pray as we uh, finish up here today, Lord, that, uh, that you would remind us that you go before us to fight against our enemies to save us, Lord, and that we would hold on to that truth. Lord, that we would hold on to the realization that we're not going about it our own. Lord, that if we go, as we go out into our promised land, 
our daily abundant walk, Lord, that we would hold tightly onto you with both hands. We thank you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org.